You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. Horror for the casually obsessed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are sweating today. I, I was, I was going to try not to bring it up, but god damn, is it hot in here. It is so hot. And also, because we record, we have to close all of the windows and turn off all of the fans. And yeah. Fucking sucks. Super fun. Going to make this quick. Kim, uh, what are we talking about today? Today is our 100% cotton episode. That's right, baby. We finally did it. We're here. 100% cotton. This is 100% John's double feature. Oh. Uh, you know, this is a collaborative double feature. The first movie that we're talking about, 100% me. Cannot deny that. I've been wanting to talk about Scream 3 solely for the cold open for since we started this fucking podcast. I remember he would not let me get beyond the cold open. I think he thought 100% cotton, that's all we were going to talk about and not the movie. The episode is 100% cotton weary. That's all that matters. Who dies very early on in the film. Hey, we never see him die. He might come back and scream eight. We Mm. don't know. Okay. He should be a killer. He's overdue for being a killer. He should have actually been the killer. Yeah, that would have been a good turn. We uh, are talking about a completely different film in part two. I don't want to give it away just yet, but I think- I bet you can guess who's in it. I think you can probably guess who's in it, which really shrinks down the the possible options for what we're talking about uh, in part two. Uh, Before we get into it, though, Kim, what is keeping you creepy this week? We are heading to Overlook Film Festival this weekend. Super excited. New Orleans. Haven't been there in like two, two, maybe three years. I can't recall how Can't wait long. to experience that heat. Oh, <laughs> I'm that excited. Heat. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's been a while. We've been covering it. We mentioned it in the last episode. We've been covering it virtually. This is our first time back since 2019 in person. Uh, and it is going to be another four days of just like fucking straight horror movie watching. Can't wait. I'm going to get a Pim's Cup. I don't remember what it is, but I know it's a thing there. We're ho- and the hurricane and a Sazerac and a lot of other things to avoid walking outside in the heat. <laughs> outside of some of the years, you know, coolest, creepiest, weirdest movies. They've got a whole bunch of world premieres. Nightmare on Film Street is presenting Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn vamp. No, Brooklyn gorilla. Jeez, John. <laughs> That's right. That is on Sunday. Um, but there's a ton of stuff. Like, we're going to check out a special advanced screening of The Black Phone. Everybody's excited for that one. The Blumhouse Sinister-esque uh, movie with a cool mask. I, I, right? Is, is there ever a Blumhouse movie that doesn't have a cool mask? That's, that's kind of their go-to. This is why you come to Blumhouse movies, man. Like, that's what you fucking need. I need a cool mask. I need a, a, a ethereal plane that somebody walks into. They're also having a Halloween party. Super stoked for that. Oh, that's going to be great. Uh, we're half of our carry-on bags and are dedicated to Halloween costumes. That's going to be fun going through customs. Yep, that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to explaining that. Like, yes, no, it is June. We are going to a Halloween party, <laughs> I promise you. Costumes are mandatory. I can't, We can't not travel with a costume. I mean, I don't want to spoil my costume, but I definitely have vampire fangs in my bag. <laughs> How do you justify 
You're like, I'm just cool. Theater troupe? <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> we've uh, we've got an article on the website, uh, five you know films that you don't want to miss at Overlook. Uh, on top of a bunch of premieres that we're both really excited to check out, there are a few festival favorites that we've seen at Sundance, South by Southwest, like Deadstream. Yeah. If, if you're a fucking found footage fan, you are going to love this goddamn movie. you got to check it out. It's essentially a Twitch live stream in a haunted house on Halloween night. You can't go wrong. But enough about movies that we're checking out film festival-wise, because there's a lot of them. I'm sure we'll download you soon on those. There'll also be a ton of reviews at nofspodcast.com yeah. while we're there. Maybe a few days afterwards, because we're going to be drinking and partying and watching movies. Hey, man, reviews take a long time to write, and I'm a slow writer. You are a slow writer. Super slow. I'm going to write half of these in the airport on the way home. But I was transitioning. So there's yeah. a bunch of cool movies in the theater. Let's mm-hmm. talk about those. Yeah, if you can't make it to New Orleans this weekend, uh, hopefully you can make it to a theater near you that is playing. Now playing. Blumhouse's Dash Cam. <laughs> no by... cool masks in that. <laughs> I thought about it as soon as you said it. I was like, we are going to transition to a Blumhouse movie soon. It does not have cool masks, <laughs> but it is found footage. It's totally worth checking out. I hope it is playing in a movie theater near you. I don't think it's playing at the local theater near us, at, uh, where we live, but that's totally fine. Uh, Dashcam is, of course, directed by Rob Savage, co-written by him and Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley, the people that brought you host. Uh, These Zoom seance, if, you, uh, if you're like, host, is that that one with the, no, no, Zoom seance. Dashcam is a completely different animal. This fucking movie is bonkers. It also features the uh, most controversial character of 2022, I'm going to say it right now. There's guaranteed not a movie coming out this year that unless Michael Myers decides to like take up breakdancing or something, there's not going to be a more controversial horror movie hitting the local movie theater this year. That's a good point. Uh, it also has just some really creative takes on the the you know night of terror found footage movie. Uh, there it goes some places. It goes some fucking places. Yeah, I re- we've we've seen this movie like three times now. And I, it keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah, every time I see it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, honestly, they uh, the the team behind this, you know, and host as well, they really know how to shoot found footage. Um, I hope they never do. Real movies. Uh, well, not real movies. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you hope they're just found footage through and through. Forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I've got so many great things that I want to talk about with this movie. Like, honestly, I think if you're a big fan of Wreck, I think you'll really like Dash Cam. Good Wreck. Yeah. Amendation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk more about this movie, but we'll we'll uh, we'll have to wait until you've had a chance to see it. There are a lot of good things about it. And uh, and hit it, you know, hit us up on Discord or on Twitter if you see it this weekend and you need somebody to talk to about it because I have been dying to talk to people about this movie. But if you like weird and sexy things, let's uh, pivot over to David Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future. Right? What a wild weekend at the movie theater! You get a <laughs> a like a bombastic, crass found footage movie uh, and a and a real highbrow artsy body horror movie. What else, what can you really say about it other than the fact that? It's exactly what you expected in its levels of horny and body horroriness. Um, It will fill all of those bars for you. If those are the bars that you're looking to fill, you will fill them there. (laughs) Yeah, I would recommend getting a very large soda and drinking as much of it as you can during the previews leading up to the movie and in the first five minutes because there's a small chance you might have to vomit into it at some point in this movie. I think Kim had that moment. There was 100% a moment in this movie where Kim went, oh, God. (laughs) I don't even remember it. I I think I've blocked it from my memory. Uh, That was when uh, Viggo Mortensen undid his zipper. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Viggo Mortensen's also just really fucking gross throughout the entire thing. He is so gag worthy and not in like the, ooh, he's so sexy. He is not sexy at all. Uh, It is a great movie. He's feeling sexy. (laughs) Super great. Super David Cronenberg. It's still sort of like, you know, his artier stuff that he's been doing the last 10, 15 years. But it is, uh, you know, in in, in, in a large sense, sort of a return to body horror that he hasn't done in a while. I think uh, fans of Existence will really enjoy it. We got a review on the website right now. If you want to hear, you know, some more thoughts, you want to hear John wax poetic about it. Yeah, but we will. Uh, we have recorded a drive home from the drive-in review. We will be talking about it in depth, spoiler-filled. That'll be available in the Nightmare on Film Street Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com/slash/fiendclub next weekend. We're going to give you a chance to check it out because it is sort of a limited release. Also, this weekend we're releasing part five of the Never Sleep Again series. We're talking about the dream child i just edited this the other day it's a wild episode oh, it's God. a lot of fun uh so you can you can hit that up this weekend in the fiend club next week we'll have the crimes of the future review for, waiting there for you also we are overdue in the fiend club for a game night we were supposed to have one a week ago the fucking the hurricane <laughs> just like ripped through the town and knocked all the power lines it was like, the <laughs> shortest storm ever it was like we were out having a little like Sunday barbecue at John's parents' house, and we got Amber Alert weather warnings on our phones. It was like, storm, come in, take cover! And so we had to run inside because it got dark as fuck, and then it stormed for 10 minutes and killed all the power for three days, and then Wi-Fi, and there were trees everywhere. Yeah, and unfortunately, we've been packing to move. Yeah, we're moving. Yeah, and, and we got this film festival that we're prepping for, so we just have not, I haven't even, like, just selfishly played Evil Dead by myself yet. But we're gonna do it. We have to designate a time. One, Absolutely. because we got a new remote, and we have to see if it works. That's true. Before the return policy ends. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, keep an eye out for that. We'll we'll be we'll be announcing it in Discord, on Twitter, in the Nightmare on Film Street Fiend Club. Uh, when we can find time to do that, we will a hundred percent be doing it within the next ten days. Well, yeah, and once we move, we're gonna be playing every night. So that's very <laughs> prepare true. for that. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have <laughs> nothing but time after that. Uh, this intro's running a little long. We gotta get to the episode. We should still probably do three good things about Scream 3. I think number one, real easy, 100% Cotton, baby. He Cotton Weary's here, he's on full display, and he's kicking ass number for two. five minutes. Oh, number two, stretching the physics of a voice changer box beyond physics. <laughs> number, number three could just as easily be Lance Henriksen being like a real slime ball, like a real Hollywood slime ball. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say Ghost Mom. Ghost Mom? Yeah. Oh, God. No, John. I think it's cool. No. Okay. So number three okay. is is how stabby the stab movies get. Okay. Okay. If, <laughs> if, if we're going to continue to fight, part number three, good thing number three, Parker Posey. Okay, I agree on that. <laughs> Parker Posey as Gail Weathers, fucking amazing yeah, in this Parker movie. Yeah, Parker fucking Posey. All right, that's those are three good things about Screen 3. You've probably seen it. You probably uh, have a very strong opinion of it, but we're going to throw you to the trailer right now and continue our conversation in depth on Wes Craven's Scream 3. Have you ever actually seen the stab movie? Every time this dude enters a room, he ends up a shish kebab. There is one mystery more terrifying than you know. It could be you. Who are you? Oh, my brother always gets killed, but he's never the killer. There is one secret that can never be revealed until the end. Yeah, I do! From suspense master Wes Craven comes the final chapter in a terrifying trilogy. <laughs> Screen 3. What do you know about trilogies? All bets are off. Rated R.
Scream 3 from 2000 is currently sitting at a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Now, it seems to me that with a title like 100% Cotton and a dedicated focus on an actor like Liev Shriver, Uh we should probably start talking. I mean, why wouldn't we talk about the cold open first? But we're not going to leave it to like the end or anything. Kim, what do you feel about this cold open? (sighs) Oh, no. Are you serious? No, okay. So I, and I think I'm not alone here. I think this is generally the consensus among the horror community that this is one of the weaker installments of the Scream franchise. And I, I'm going to admit it. I don't think I've really given Scream 3 its due. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was the first time as an adult I've watched it and tried to really erase any, any prior emotions, anything I knew about the movie going in and to just watch it as a movie, like standalone. Okay. Scream 1 and 2 maybe exist. Maybe we watched like a previously on before this started. So we were up to date on like. You're familiar with Sydney and her woes. Yeah. I do, uh, I love Cotton. Okay. He's a great character. Um, okay, that's I great. Love, I love that he became like an Oprah-y figure. Isn't this, I think he's a Jerry Springer type guy. <laughs> <laughs> or like a Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Phil for for the, the working man. Like he seems like the, like the shock jock kind of guy who's just drumming up anger and fear and I love it. But... Knowing what we know about Scream and its iconic openings, when we open on Cotton and there's like the phone gag, you kind of know what's up the whole way through, if that makes sense. Oh, because it's a cold open on a Scream movie? Yes. And also, like, he picks up his his car phone and somebody's talking to him. And she's like, oh, my God, you're Cotton Weary. You know it's Ghostface the whole time. Why does that bother you? (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's my big question why does that bother you because every other scream five scream four somebody gets a phone call and we're all just like okay cool let's see how they die yeah that's true yeah no that's fair i guess because it's an iconic character and it's supposed to be jarring that like oh my god they killed cotton in the opening scene i don't know if it hits as hard because he's the first thing you see so you're like oh Cotton's the first girl. <laughs> Cotton's the first girl. I uh, I guess I just never really uh, am upset by how the cold open for this goes. I think it's just such a fun progression. Like when you see, like if you're thinking about I'm only watching Scream 3, Scream 4 and 5 don't exist. Uh, you know, you have a throwaway character from the first movie who becomes like such a central focus in the second one and is like maybe possibly the killer. He's got like the last line of the fucking movie. And you're like, how did this nobody become like such a big focus? And then to open the movie, like the third movie with him and to see that he's become like a cultural icon. That's just amazing. And I think that just like lays the groundwork for how weird and meta the third movie's gonna be. And we all know that he's he doesn't have enough substance. We've we've wrung everything we can out of that character. So of course <laughs> we're gonna cotton op- rag. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, just the idea that he is serial mom style suspected killer. Like he he was acquitted. He didn't do anything. <laughs> but he's it's tarnished his entire reputation, and now he's become this sort of controversial figure 
on your television every day. But that's day. how the world works. Exactly. <laughs> Ex- that's exactly that, how the world works. That would happen. Yeah. We would totally put this guy on a pedestal. And to call it 100% cotton. I know. You love it. And I, for him, he's wearing all white from top to bottom. <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> and so well written. I think it's genius. What's also really important about this cold open is it it presents the kind of major mechanic of this killer in that he's got this magical voice box yeah. that has everybody's voices programmed into it. Do you not love that? Uh, no, it's great. Okay. We don't have that technology <laughs> even today. <laughs> nope. I mean, I get uh, the, you can deep fake things, but I don't know. Not with like how a not with get... like a little box that you put in front of your mouth. Yeah, to live do it. And how did he get Sydney's mom? Sydney's mom as an old woman. <laughs> I I will say this movie just predicted Adobe. Like like there there's not not Photoshop, but like there's a audio editing software that Adobe's been developing that with just 15 seconds of dialogue you can pretty much make anybody say anything. Oh man, if we get that tech. Our podcast is yeah. going to sound so good. Yeah, because what you can actually do is you can take like this whole 40-minute recording that we're about to do, and you can export it, and it'll transcribe it, and then you can make edits in can the you... transcription with written word, and then put it back in as audio, and it'll do all it can all Can you put you. emotion in it, though? Will we be all of a sudden like- That's a good question. Blah, 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 the, 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 of. <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. I, I'm sure you could, and maybe that's why they are holding off on using it, but it's going to change ADR recording forever, baby. I'm ready. You say you're ready, but you love it. You love a bad ADR overdub. Like if a character's talking and all of a sudden it sounds like this, you're just like, ooh, that's a good footstep. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good footstep. But yeah, nobody nobody has a box that they can just put over top of. I will say that I think in terms of them predicting Adobe's like technology, that uh, the killer, and we're jumping a little bit ahead here, has taken audio samples of Sydney's mother's voice from some B movies that she acted in in like the 80s. And That's what I was thinking, but yeah. she would sound like a 16-year-old or a 19-year-old Oh, woman. it's impossible. It wouldn't be clean audio anyway. Like, every time he talks on the phone as Sydney's mom, you can hear, like, robots and, and laser blasts behind her. <laughs> Yeah, no, it absolutely wouldn't work. Don't care. Love it. It's such a, it's such a, where do you go from here, right? We've got a voice box recorder. And we've got cell phones. Everybody knows how all that shit works. How do we one up this for a new movie? My favorite thing about the voice box, though, is that in switching between all the different characters, immediately goes back, like, Ghostface standard voice is, is yeah, iconic. Yeah, he never so- uses, like, the, the killer never uses their real voice. Yeah. The default <laughs> setting is that dope Ghostface voice. <laughs> exactly. That must just be what comes out of the box that's neutral (laughs) (laughs) so good you know the this is one of the darkest openings for one character (laughs) like the cold open for this movie cotton weary's girlfriend uh like this is the the only darker kill oh fuck man they're all dark drew barrymore i think is one of the darkest. drew barrymore is the darkest because she sees who kills her at the end of and she's so close to her fucking parents that's awful and then on top of that you have um, her boyfriend's intestines (laughs) yeah on on top of that you have uh jada pink and smith being murdered in front of a live audience oh that's bad too yeah it's all pretty crazy The fifth one, no one actually dies in the beginning. Spoiler Uh. alert. Yeah, it's a huge bummer. We were all mad about it. But, you know, it kind of tied the rest of the movie together. Uh, The fourth one's just full of fake out gags. But it is an added level of evil for Ghostface to make this woman think that her boyfriend is murdering her. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that whatsoever. 
Yeah. And even even when Cotton Weary bursts down the door and he's like, hey, babe, it's me. Are you okay? She doesn't believe him. That was a good cotton. Thank you. <laughs> um, even after he shows up and Ghostface stabs her in the back, I'm sure she dies thinking, why did he do this to me? Like, she, at no point does she think an intruder is in her house. She thinks that it's someone who she loves, who's close to her, who is a suspected murderer for a very long well, time. Well, I think in that, ins- that in that instance where she's stabbed in the back, staring at Cotton in front of her, right before she dies, she knows it wasn't him. You don't think that maybe she's just like, oh, God, he brought a friend. <laughs> I guess. Uh... All the other movies have two killers. Maybe he's just, he's finally lost it. True. I feel bad for that woman. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, and so in in changing up the intro, all of Scream 3 is entirely different in that we are not in Woodsboro. No. We are in Hollywood. I think we were supposed to be in Woodsboro, right? Like Originally, when this was first being developed? There, well, there's, there's a lot of originally and ideas and stuff, but I like Hollywood as a choice, but it's it's a complicated feeling. I love the meta quality of this movie, though. Like the the we're, it's a movie inside a movie, and on top of that, like it plays with movie logic. Like they we've got all of these tropes that like they really sort of just burned the bridge behind them when they made Scream One. I don't know how they were like we're gonna riff off the genre forever after this. Like I think you've done it. I think you've wrung the towel dry. You've you already le- said that. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you you've left no piece of the animal unused. <laughs> I don't know what. Scream one burned burned a bridge behind it. Okay. Yeah, uh, but they they continually find new stuff to explore and exploit, uh, especially regarding like how movies are made and what tropes exist in these movies. Yeah, and what's really cool and definitely needed to be done at some point in the Scream franchise was kind of reflecting on the stab films. Mm, yeah, because they're just like, they're. they're it, it's only existed for Scream 2. There's no stab in Scream 1, right? So it's just kind of like a throwaway joke in the second movie. And here we're like really going headfirst into it. Yeah, well, and there's so much, there's a layer of meta achieved by setting this during a live production of a movie that is kind of twisting the truth a little bit like we're finding that main characters are dying in stab three that are still alive in scream three yeah and it it's directly tied to the killer's kill pattern it's very twisted and and it's perfect that it's set in hollywood because scream is about hollywood it's about horror hollywood yeah and we pulled all the characters into this world like the russian dolls we're, we're just like going deeper and deeper and deeper into this and it's it really feels like an area that Wes Craven is very interested in, right? Like like the meta the meta quality of filmmaking and how like filmmaking is real life. Like they they mimic each other, I guess. But also just like there's there's an image in this movie where Sydney walks onto set and she sees Stu's house from the end of the movie. This was a this scene was a pure edition of Wes Craven. This was his oh. idea that he wanted um, Sydney to visit the set and mm. like kind of this ghost of her Woodsboro life and the, like the high school teenage life that she left behind. Okay, and uh, I think it's fucking the be- one of the best moments of the whole movie. I I really really like it. Yeah, even just her walking and in, into the area and seeing it is so great. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Heather Langenkamp turning around and seeing that her house is 1428 now and walking into it. Like, she knows it's not her real house, but it still has, like, this quality of something that has, like, been looming over her her entire life. 
Yeah. And what's so twisted about Sydney walking through the set is this was a throwaway line that I don't think I'd ever heard before. At some point earlier in the film, they're talking about what's next in the film, like page 28 candy dies and then there's the flashback to Maureen's death and there's a flashback to this death and so the set is staged for these death scenes for the flashback and so when Sydney walks into her parents bedroom and that morgue bag is on the floor and And there's blood and we're hearing the dialogue from the first movie and there's blood cascaded everywhere that's a scene that we've never seen before that's oh yeah that's Sydney Discovering her mom. Yeah. Mm, so, so we're in a flashback. <laughs> we we kind of do visit a flashback that we've never seen. And we kind of get that trauma that Sydney had in the first movie that we didn't ever get to quite fully relate to because we came in late. We came in a year after yeah. Sydney's mom's death. And so she's trying to get back to normalcy. But in Scream 3, we revisit this like raw terror that kind of kicked off. Sydney's kind of dark journey into like endless death. Yeah, because before this girl at her school was murdered, her mom was. Yeah, and, and it it's sounds so, like she maybe discovered her. It's so twisted, just how because like even on another layer, how Hollywood kind of exploits true horrors, and it's just a really iconic moment. It's it's a little weird because there's the lines are blurred a bit with Sydney hallucinating, and there's a whole lot of Sydney hallucinating her dead mom and stuff that I don't really love. Um, but that moment in particular, I think, is pretty fantastic. There exists a possibility that that moment in the house is the killer. Yes, is the killer, the and I think is, it might actually be. Yeah, but the thing is, you just don't fucking know. It doesn't. Yeah, like the moments where she's seeing her mom walk up her, she does her weird <laughs> rural paddock. <laughs> it's a, it's totally a, a specter. It's a vision. Yeah. What do you think of it? I don't like it. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I really like, especially that first one where she shows up at like her window. It's fucking scary. She's I, walking in on the fog and okay. shit. Okay, horror movie stuff, good. Pl- scream plot stuff, not good. Yeah, it does feel weird to throw like, <laughs> it's it's such a slasher move though, right? They're just like, oh, fuck it. We got nightmare sequences now <laughs> from a guy who knows how to direct nightmare sequences. Yeah. Even though I don't think this feels like a nightmare. It kind of looks like a crazy woman has just opened a gate on her heavily secured fortress. Yeah, it looks like the woman in Donnie Darko, that like old woman who has all the secrets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it never quite feels like a nightmare. In the next moment, we visit Sydney at her house. She's a crisis counselor. That same voice, her mom's voice, is calling her on the phone, and it's actually Ghostface. But we're already doubting her sanity at this point, so you're like, did Ghostface actually call her? At least we're supposed to doubt her sanity, yeah. right? Like, I don't think anybody actually is. Because, I I mean, like, hey, there is never a new Scream movie without 100,000 horror fans going like, I think Sydney's going to be the killer this time. I think she's finally got off the deep end, right? Three movies in, four movies in, five movies in. We're like, it's got to be Sydney. Well, they set up something a little bit interesting in a cold, in a, I said a cold herring, in a red herring of, the girl playing Sydney because we suspect her at a moment where we discover her in the bathroom and she's got ghost face gear and she's like, I'm just taking souvenirs. She is suspicious from every scene she's in. Because she just pops up and like, does nothing. Okay, guys, are we safe now? Is everything okay? Did you guys get that killer? Are you good? Are <laughs> and you Dewey's, good? And Dewey's like, why did you come from over there? And she just doesn't answer. <laughs> and she was just like, oh God, he's in the house. <laughs> yeah, she is a very untrustworthy person. I do remember i know that you read a bunch about the development and the filming of this movie i do remember reading 
a while ago that no one knew who the killer was when they were filming the movie. I heard that too, and that she was certain she was the killer. And then, and then when she, when she died, she was like, "Wait, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, no, no, this is wrong. <laughs> Aren't I the killer?" Well, apparently the the production was so crazy that like they were getting pages of the script the day they were shooting them. They and the funny thing is the the film references that. That's so um, cool. That's so <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, Candy, her character's just she freaks out before she dies because she's like, "Is there been another fucking rewrite?" Love it. I mean, fucking like we're basically watching the production of Scream Three. This is like this is genuinely one of the better meta movies. Yeah, deciding who to kill, who's the killer, who of the core cast needs to die if they die. Yeah, that and you know, not enough credit given to the misdirection that's thrown around in this movie. Uh, like you were saying, this is definitely the first rewatch I've had. Uh, where I'm not multitasking in a long time, like I'm really paying attention. I remembered none of that ghost stuff. That was like fresh to me. I'd completely fucking forgotten Sydney's mom's ghost. <laughs> but you know, like when you're really paying attention and trying to like follow the the who done it nature of this movie, they do such a good job of casting suspicion on absolutely everybody. I disagree. Really? Yeah, I don't think I don't think the misdirection's very well thought out in this. Hmm. It seems sporadic. <laughs> well, whether or not it's But go ahead and argue good. it. Go ahead and argue. No, no, no it. like what, what I'm saying is like whether or not you like like it or you think it's believable or credible, when you're watching this for the first time, you can't make an honest guess of who the killer is cuz every time you're like, "Ooh, I think it might be this this person's probably not the killer." And then they they throw like one little quick glance or something. Like they're constantly trying to make you second guess your uh, your suspicions of who might be the behind the mask. Okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> I think they wow, set it up wow, as wow. Patrick Dempsey, and that's it. And there's a few, like, is it Sydney? Sydney? <laughs> hmm. Okay. I mean, there's plenty of times where they really make Dewey look like he's suspicious. The, pro- the <laughs> problem is you've got a guy like David Arquette delivering it, and it's just, it's just a little cartoonish, and, like, you know that he's doing it for yucks, like, when he gives somebody, like, a, a glance or a stare. Highlight Dewey moment of the of the movie is when he gets hit with the blunt end of the knife when the killer throws it up oh the stairs. Oh, my God. It is the highlight of the fucking series. It is one of the only times where Ghostface actually kind of feels like Ghostface when that happens. One, it's a great gag. Hilarious gag. But Ghostface is never a proficient killer. And Ghostface shouldn't be a proficient killer because he's not Michael Myers. It's a different killer every time. And, it, and presumably, it's their first time killing. Yeah. Exactly. It's most most of the time it's a teenager. So like teenagers not in, not the strongest people on the planet. And yeah, like they should be amateurs. If they were professionals, they wouldn't be using the ghost face uh, to get a little more extra street cred, right? <laughs> Actually, something I did want to talk about back when we were in the set of Woodsboro mm-hmm. and works out with this moment with Dewey is they infused a lot more comedy into Scream 3 and a lot less gore because they went into production right around the Columbine murders. Oh, yeah. And what's so interesting for Scream 3 is that it's parodying a film being made based on a true massacre kind of thing. So, oh. So... And at that time, there was a lot of like, is our film and ga- video gaming making teenagers have bloodlust? Yeah, you know what I mean? I remember all that. But I think Scream in that way is so perfectly timed. We're still in this crazy time where that is happening, mm-hmm. uh, like school violence to that degree. And for the series to step away from just making fun of horror movies and being set during the production of one, I just think it's... 
it's so um, serendipitous, I guess. Okay. I, <laughs> I I don't know if this is necessarily exactly where you were expecting me to go with it, but I also just love that the killer is killing based on the screenplay. <laughs> like, like people, like the order people die in the quote unquote movie is the order in which they die in this movie. Uh, you will call it real life if you want for those characters. So the movie itself is real. They're acting it out. Except in the finale, it's whoever's closest to Ghostface dies. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so great if he went to go kill somebody and then he was like, wait, no, not yet. Like, that's the wrong order. Like, he, he like, leaves them and goes to kill somebody else. Maybe that's why he hit Dewey. Maybe it was intentional that he hit Dewey in the head with the hilt of the blade. Yeah, but fake Dewey had already died. Oh, that's true. I'd forgotten about that. That's, man, the lead up to fake Dewey's death is one of the highlights of this movie. The actual death itself, a little too goofy for me. You know, just a few seconds ago, I was talking about how I love that the screenplay is like an integral piece in the in the movie. It's also great that there are several versions of it, so nobody knows the correct order in which they should be killed, which also sort of like uh, hides who the killer's gonna be. Um, and they're they're really coming through this screenplay, trying to figure out what their best course of action is. No one thinks about leaving town, but uh, they start getting they start getting rewrites faxed to them from the killer, yeah, so outlining good. how things are going in the house. Like, oh, they get a fax, and then this happens, and then the killer is waiting for them outside, and blah 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 blah, and just them getting scene updates from the fax machine is fucking incredible. Uh, unfortunately, it leads to one character goofily blowing up, which blowing which doesn't feel like a scream movie at all. But I I no. do secretly fucking love it. But what what does a big Hollywood blockbuster third movie need more than a big fucking explosion? Right? It's so fucking true. That's the meta commentary. It's like <laughs> ah, these trilogies they all get bigger and badder, and they've all got explosions at some point. The the gag there though is that. The ghost face is gonna give mercy to one person, so he's, they, they they think they think that they're gonna kill everybody but one person, and he's like he's he gives mercy to the person who can smell the gas, and he's using a Zippo lighter to read that last page because he's cut the power, and then the house explodes. If the house exploded that big, like if there was that big of an explosion, every single person in the house would have been like, "Y'all smell rotten eggs? I think it's propane. We should get the fuck out of here." They were consumed by the fax pages. It would take an eternity for the house to fill up with that much gas. Like he's been he's been pumping that house full of gas since well before they were sitting down reading the screenplay. That's true. Well, we're being a little bit critical of the movie <laughs> with that with that kill. I do have to say, and maybe this is controversial, I do not like how Randy is uh shoehorned into the film. I but... like I like I love what he says about trilogy. Yeah, I was going to say, but do you like I that buy, he is shoehorned into the film? I, I buy all of it, but the the logic of it just doesn't make sense. So he films this in case there's a third movie while he's in the middle of the spree of the second movie. Yeah. He's too busy not trying not to die. <laughs> but he's also too much of a film nerd not to know that there would be a third one. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> It's fine. I understand why you don't like it. I think we all went, what? But I, okay. I love Randy as a character. They fucked up in killing him. They should have just not killed him. They, yeah, he could have survived. You'd be like, oh, he barely made but it But I out. mean, it, it, when he dies, it's fucking great. Like, it hurts so bad. It did. It, it was, ugh. It was another one of those Drew Barrymore kills because he's in he's in the quad. He's in a van in the yep. quad so close to like- In the middle like, of the day, uh, the one character who knows everything, you're like, oh shit, they're not going to make it out. They're fucked now. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it was the right choice at the time. Yeah. But damn, when you're just like, oh, wait, we're going to make like 18 more of these movies? Yeah, we probably should have kept them. <laughs> what if he's a ghost? <laughs> We do have to talk about the mystery at this film's core because on top of it just being a who done it. Oh, you mean the story? <laughs> now <laughs> it's got... now it's a mystery about Maureen Prescott that we have to uncover. And I got to admit, I have never paid attention to the mystery. I'm such a terrible Scream 3 horror fan mm. that I I don't think I'd ever quite gotten it. I remember recently the finale of Scream 3 was explained to us and we were like Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How did I forget this? <laughs> because I think we just, we watched it for like the fun and the yucks and then you turn it off when Roman's doing his big speech. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's how you know you're a real slasher fan who's upset that you don't have violence. Is that what it is? Just like, there's just not enough grabbing my attention in this movie because it's not, it doesn't really feel like a very strong horror movie. It's a it's a Friday the Thirteenth New Blood situation where you, like you take out all of the gore and everything that makes it a horror movie, and then you're just kind of left with these characters that disappear one by one until until the finale reveal. Well, in that sense, it was smart that they made it a mystery because there's something else kind of luring you luring you to keep going. Didn't seem like it it had a lasting impression on us. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we're not really sequel people though. No. So yeah, but what do you think about Maureen? You know, spending her nineteen twenty, her nineteens and twenties <laughs> in Hollywood as a failed horror movie actress. I mean, local pretty girl from a small town goes to Hollywood to try and make it big. You know, makes a few small dumb movies. Is a victim of the casting couch. Comes home like that sounds like a real story, like a story you hear about all the time. So like it adds up. But it's Which, it's again shoehorned in. There's like, oh, it turns out your mom left Woodsboro. There's like, oh, but Maureen was born in Woodsboro and lived her whole life in Woodsboro. Like, yes, but there was a two year period where she left and came back. Like, well, who fucking cares? Yeah, but weirdly, in another like meta level of Scream, is that this film is produced by the Weinstein's. Uh, yeah, and it's about like a fucked up producer. It's about the Weinstein's weird sex house. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I'm not nuts about it. Um, I think it's it's all kind of there to just make, to, to really... To justify Hollywood a little bit, I think, too. Because mm-hmm. the thing about the Scream movies is it's all got to come back to Sydney. It's all got to come back to Maureen. Yeah, I and... mean, Randy really spells that out, too. You know, yeah, it's, it's everything like, you don't. What? What is it? Like, fuck the past. You don't know anything about the past. Yeah, the past is going to come back to haunt you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, not an uncommon move for a for a you know deep in the woods sequel. I, I will say that if it, this it, it, hypocritical, uh, if if this was like more of a noir twinged mystery, where we're seeing like the seedy underbelly of L.A. That's all. That's kind of also happening during a Scream 3 movie. I would have been real down for that. Like Deputy Dewey becomes. Dewey fucking, you know, deputizes himself as a private eye like fucking Jack Nicholson in Chinatown or something. And we start hunting. We got to get to the bottom of this mystery. But we also got to try not to get murdered by this guy who's running around town. <laughs> the real killer is the rapist we found along the way. <laughs> yeah, I would have 100 percent been down for that. So it's a little hypocritical because that's, that's kind of what they're doing. It just doesn't have like a brooding score and lots of shadows and bars of sh- of being sh- So you just wanted people. Scream 3 to be black and white. Is what oh, I- <laughs> fuck yeah, baby. Are you kidding me? Soupy black and white with trench coats and, and fedora. Release that chrome cut. I want it. 
So Roman's reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, spoiler alert, Roman, the director of Stab 3, is the killer. And so we find out that he is the quote-unquote bastard child of Maureen from her time in Hollywood when she was assaulted at one of these Hollywood parties. Like, she knew the score, whatever. Yeah, yeah he's a product of rape. She basically put him up for adoption, went Disowned back home to Woodsboro, him. pretended he didn't exist. Yeah, and when he came a knock in she continued to pretend he didn't exist. So he filmed her being promiscuous. Yeah. Gave that information to Billy. Yeah. And thus created his first movie, I guess? Yeah, so he's the catalyst for the first for the first round of killings in Scream 1. He's he's like the Blofeld of the Scream franchise. That's a James Bond villain. I, I know to... that from uh, GoldenEye. He was one of the playable characters. Oh, was he? <laughs> That's kind of cool. Um, I don't remember that. Uh, so yeah, he's he's been, the, he's been the architect of your pain from the beginning. Which, gotta say, as a director, that's kind of fantastic. Okay. But... It's too much. <laughs> oh, you mean because he grew up to become a director? Because the fact he's that a he... director, the fact that he's orchestrating and he's and he's plotting. Um, oh, I thought you just murder. meant the fact that he was filming her. <laughs> oh no, that that he he created the killer out of Billy and and directed kind of the okay, the killings of the saying. first scream. He's think, the real storyteller. I think here. that's kind of fantastic. But then also by this logic, he did that had nothing to do with the second one and just became a director at this time. And I guess in hopes that he would get a stab movie eventually or he happened to get a stab movie like it fell on his lap and he's like well time to make this a trilogy yeah like what was his ultimate goal was his ultimate goal to have his mother killed or was his ultimate goal to ruin Sydney's life because she got to she got to experience the life he never had like I will will tell you right now You've done that. Like before even before you start killing people in Scream 3 or on the set of Stab 3, you have ruined Sydney's life. <laughs> she doesn't her dad is so sad for her. He comes to see her and she's just like you're locked away like a fucking prisoner. Like you don't exist. You're basically a ghost in the real world. Like you can't do this. Uh so yeah, her life is already shit. You've already done it. You don't need to go that extra added step. Yeah, I just I it's just too much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's, it's a lot, a lot. Th- and that's kind of why I'm not a big, huge fan of sequels and stuff when they're not intended, because it's writing backwards. It's, yeah. okay, we need another killer. We need to justify how it relates back to this. So it doesn't have the same magic that an original film does where you're writing to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're laying these nuggets and these secrets and these little Easter eggs that only somebody with foresight could do. Mm-hmm. Versus reverse engineering where the the magic is taken away. I mean, I think this is maybe why uh, neither of us really liked the the new Scream movie all that much. I think that there's a lot of Scream 3 in the DNA of Scream 5. A lot. I felt that way too, re-watching Scream 3 like with new eyes. That I'm like, oh, Scream 5 really loves Scream 3. Yeah, and you know, it's it's got plenty of stuff in it to like. Uh, it's got plenty of stuff in it that's really interesting, but yeah, it does do that same thing where it's just like, okay, there's a there's a tiny little window where we mentioned that they're not in a relationship anymore. They broke up for a summer, so he went off and he had a fucking kid. He got another girl pregnant before he came back to Sydney, and they now that girl has grown up and is in Scream Five. Spoiler alert for the first twenty minutes of Scream Five. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. Um. 
it's fuck. a little it's a little bit of a mess yeah <laughs> it's, I'll give it's you a that. lot but it's a hundred percent cotton baby <laughs> like this, this scream three if that's the rating like it's 100 percent cotton uh shout out to parker posey as the Holy mvp shit. of this fucking how movie. did we get halfway how did we get a half an hour into this podcast without talking about parker posey? she is the the star they could you know what you could have had a situation where courtney cox did not want to do this movie and they recast her with parker posey and i would have been fine with it or even if they just didn't Courtney Cox didn't appear, so Parker Posey playing As Gail <laughs> Weathers just fucking b- becomes the detective on her own. Honestly, it's so fun. Her addition throughout the mystery sequence makes the the comedic tone land. Yeah. Yeah, like the, there are so many additional characters in this movie. They're kind of just like, uh, they're there for the kill count to a degree. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a fun little bit where like the new Randy's just like, hey, I'm a comp- I'm my own character. Like, yeah, your name's Ricky and you work at the video store. <laughs> but yeah, Parker Posey is the only one of the new group that feels like an actual character and maybe that's just because they gave her shit to do. Parker Posey is amazing in everything. Oh, so good. Not a horror recommendation, but if you're a 90s kid, you gotta revisit Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, so good. <laughs> I think now's a good time to tell you a little bit about the original... Um, ideas for Scream 3. Ooh, sit down, everybody. It's story time with Kevin. <laughs> I actually don't know what the original idea is. I'm very excited. So Kevin Williamson, the original writer of Scream, who wrote Scream 2 as well, mm-hmm. um, did a like a like basically a five-page treatment for Scream 3, which then was passed on to the final writer. But it wasn't set in Hollywood. It was back in Woodsboro, and it did kind of coincide with, you know, they're filming Stab 3 there. Okay. But, you still have the Hollywood angle, yeah. Yeah, but the killer, and this I think kind of got adapted a little bit into Scream 4, at least half of the killers in Scream 4. Okay. Because it was a Stab fan club. Okay. So the kids of, of Woodsboro who became super fans of the Stab franchise kind of recreate a killing spree. But... The most exciting part is that it was all fictional. So the finale of Kevin Williamson's Scream 3, Sydney comes to the house in the middle of this massacre, whatever, to go like final showdown with the killer and all of the dead kids stand up because they're not dead. They're all the killer. (laughs) Oh man, so I thought thought what you were going to say is that the the fan club is like a cult, and like they trap Sydney there. Is wait, is that how it ends? Maybe that's oh, fucking that'd cool. be great. Like everybody's dead, but they get up, they lock the door, and like they all take turns killing Sydney. You know, there's a funny, there's a funnier, uh, goofy comedy spinoff of this where sam- similar idea. We've got a group of uh, a fan club of kids that are just like way too obsessed with the stab movies. They dress up as Ghostface and like one at a time break into Sydney's house. And then you know she kills them, and like that's their that's their ultimate goal is to be killed by Sydney. So and like now it's now that's how you get like Sydney as the killer. It's like the the cops are coming. Like hey, why do you face Suicide Club? Yeah, but to as far as the police are concerned, she's just on a rampage, killing anybody she sees in a ghost face mask. (laughs) It's just self defense. But they're like, I don't know. I think you might. I think you're killing these kids on purpose. That's a that'd be a funny little short film, I guess. Wow, what a that would have been a cool movie, the original idea. Yeah, and Scream 3, like it went through so many changes. They refilmed the ending in January. The film was released in February because they were kind of anticipating it being the final scream. They thought that Sydney and Roman's standoff wasn't long enough. It needed to be like more more of a struggle for Sydney, so they added that body armor thing. Oh, yeah. And also Patrick Dempsey wasn't originally in the finale at all. And oh, they're no. like 
we just left his character. Like, oh, he just boy. like fucked off and never had a never had a closing to his character arc. Which it seems like it was kind of that way for a lot of the stab characters. Like yeah, sure. especially the ones that made it to the house at the end. You're like, oh, we really forgot about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to do something interesting for this rating. I want you to do your standard out of four Nightmare on Film Street rating. Okay. But also I want to know if you liked it this watch more or less ah. than you remember liking it previously. Okay. And I think that's important to do with, with Scream movies when revisiting them because it feels like every time I revisit them, there's another movie added to the layer cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love this franchise. I love revisiting this franchise. Um... As much as we're not sequel people, like, again, like, if it was just Scream 1, I'd be totally happy with that. (laughs) Yeah, I, this is a tough one. Three seems high. 2.5 seems low. I I think I know, I I think what it is is, like, it's a 2.5 of a film for me. I agree. But the 100% cotton opening and the meta quality of it is gotta be at least a half star bump. I'm I'm also surprised I'm sitting here giving it a three out of four, but that's where I'm at because yeah. this rewatch I liked it a lot more than <laughs> the last time I watched it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, as a film, two point five. Parker Posey, point five. Fucking Parker Posey, guys. <laughs> yeah. So we're both gonna do a three out of four. You liked it more this watch? Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I even just like the 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 nightmare hallucination sequence I in hated her those. old house. I hated those. where her mom <laughs> is just underneath the coroner sheet and you don't see her that time. That's great. Oh, like the that. coroner sheet stuff was good. Yeah, Wes Craven knows what to do with a plastic bag. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the opening where she had like her crazy hair. You know, parts of it I thought were great. <laughs> Other parts of it maybe not so much. <laughs> but yeah, this was a this was a surprising rewatch. What's your? It's probably gonna be a long time. Before we do like a scream revisit, because we've covered a few of these movies already on the podcast. Mm-hmm. What's your franchise ranking? We watched Scream Four not too long ago. Uh, you know, it used to be one, two, four, three, five, and don't forget five. Well, no, and that so that was before I had seen five. So okay, now I've okay. seen five and I've seen three again, and my re ranking is now going to be. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> wow, I have a, so my thing is like I gotta rewatch. Scream 2 to give you my definitive answer because mm-hmm. shooting from the hip, I'm just like, yeah, one, two, four, three, five. But I'm like, I don't know. It might be one, four, two, three, five. I really like number four. I like it more every time I see it. I'm the same way with four, but mm. I think it has the weakest cold open, but I think it has the best ending of the franchise. That's just me personally. Best ending in the franchise. Fuck yeah, baby. That fucking end in the hospital and we go to the news reporters. It's some of the darkest shit. I love it. I guess we're going to have to revisit the franchise again soon. Yeah, sounds like a plan. (laughs) But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of Scream 3 and what your franchise ranking is. Where does this movie fall uh, against all of the other movies? I've seen I've been seeing a lot of people put Scream Five like really high on their list. So you know what? Maybe it, maybe we should be rewatching that one too. Hit us up on Twitter at nofs podcast. We've also got the Nightmare on Film Street community that you can uh, that you can join and chat with your fellow fiends. If you're more of a Discord person, hit us up at nofspodcast.com/discord. If you want more Nightmare on Film Street, consider joining our Fiend Club on Patreon at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. We drop bonus episodes there. We have watch parties and there's swag and all kinds of fun stuff uh, for you as a supporter of Nightmare on Film Street. Yeah, if you're a big Wes Craven fan, you're going to love our Never Sleep Again series. We recently watched all nine films in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, recording a podcast for each movie with zero sleep in between. 
Uh, we've got a bunch of those episodes up at the Fiend Club right now. I think you're going to like them. And it sounds like we're probably going to have to do one for Scream soon. Scream, yeah. What have, what other franchises has Wes Craven done? Okay, we're also going to do the Hills Have Eyes franchise. <laughs> uh, but that's it for us this week. Until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Thank <laughs> you.